through 19. Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, and 16 through 19. Word of the Lord. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day and in our time. Make them known and in wrath remember mercy. In verse 16, I heard and my heart pounded, my lips quivered at the sound, decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crops fail and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stall, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on to higher heights, for the Lord is good, and his mercy endures forever. You may be seated. Habakkuk is this prophet who won't permit us to escape reality. He won't even allow us to spiritualize the text where we might hide in the spiritual protection of a metaphor. Instead, Habakkuk contends that when it comes to living, you must face the real world. You have to deal with your feelings the way they truly are. And you have to face the fact that there are times when you certainly cannot make sense of not only what's going on in the world, but what God is doing in the midst of this world. As one member asked if I would this morning bring clarification to a statement that I made on last Sunday and that statement was that I have come to realize that there are and that there will be unfulfilled predictions slash dreams. And this member said, if you would just explain that more because I kind of felt like you left me hanging. Well, that posture is grasped and suggested by me and it's supported clearly throughout scripture. 
And as I said last Sunday, I'll say again, the reality is that there are some dreams, some things that I began my journey believing and expecting would come to pass, not only has not, but I strongly believe that the time suggests that it will not. And it behooves me as quick as possible to move beyond it because lingering on the fact of what not and what has not been may only frustrate me more. And I said that because all through the Bible I noticed that even though there were grand dreams of various persons, uh, they did not come to a reality. Not everybody has a Joseph experience. Not everybody has a Moses experience. Uh, most of us probably have more of an Elijah experience. And my point was that when I look at the text, there are various personalities that did and experience what I'm experiencing and maybe some of you. For example, Esau, who I believe dreamed without question that someday he would see equality and would be accepted by his mother and father just as his brother Jacob was. But it never happened in his lifetime. In fact, it would seem to me to be a bit of a tragedy to be able to read later in the historical record if I were Esau. When I get to Hebrews, there's this phrase that certainly troubles me, Jacob have I loved and Esau I have hated. That tells me that whatever Esau had desired in one way or another by way of dream or even prediction, it did not come to pass in his life. David was one who certainly had a dream and desire to build what he thought to be the temple to which God could be reverenced and worshiped. David had believed that since he had conquered Jerusalem, the space to which he would later be uh, named, he would later name it as the town of God or the space of God, he wanted to build this elaborate temple, but God tells him it's not going to happen because there's too much blood on your hands. Now I'm thinking as I read this narrative about David's life that that's a troubling response even from God because it seems to me that David might say, wait a minute, you're the one who made me a warrior. Remember, I was simply tending sheep and you're the one who came and called me to become king of Israel and being king meant that I also had to be a warrior and I killed by your command and now I'm disqualified from building what I believe to be the house of your celebration. He wasn't able to see the dream come to pass under his own hands. It's as if God says the best that I can do for you is I'll let you help your son Solomon out and as a result the temple will still be built. In other words I'm trying to say is you can fake it disregard it, wipe it away, whatever you desire to do. But the reality is there are some unfulfilled dreams that we will have in this life. I secondly said that statement because I think I've come to verify in my own mind 
that life seems to set around three different axioms. The one is that there are some persons, whether you want to call it anointed, whether you want to call it favorite, whether you want to call it lucky, use whatever word you want to use. But there are some people, no matter what they do and how little effort they make, it not only gets off the ground, but it soars up with the eagles. It becomes successful, they do very little work, and no matter what they touch in the language of Psalm 1, it turns into gold. Then there are some other people that no matter how hard they work, no matter how much investment of both time and resources they put in, whatever the objective is, it never gets off of the ground and life appears to be a full spectrum of struggle for them. They never get to experience success. In fact, they live in the lane of frustration. It's as if no matter how hard I try, how much praying I do, how much fasting I do, this thing doesn't change and I wonder, is it even worth my effort any longer? Then there's the third axiom and the third axiom is that there are those who live in the middle and by living in the middle, it doesn't matter to them if it flies or stays on the ground as long as it maintains a level of consistency, they're happy. And I'm trying to tell you that that tier of difference in terms of human existence is a reality. And the reality is some people soar, others do not, and some people remain in the middle. And I've come to conclude that when I read these three chapters of Habakkuk, he likewise, obviously, has somewhat of the same conclusion. For remember, we read in chapter one that Habakkuk had these tremendous indictments he had against God, that, that God was insensitive and, and that God was insincere and that God was essentially uh, inconsistent and, and that God was inconsiderate of the experience to which they were going through. And God comes back and tells Habakkuk, you're wrong, you're incorrect. Instead, I'm doing something, but you just cannot handle what I'm doing. And Habakkuk spends chapter one wandering and worrying about how God is going to work God's own plan. Then we get to chapter two and Habakkuk says that I guess because I can't figure out God, the best thing for me to do is to go up in my tower and have a prayer time with God and I'm gonna wait for God responding to me. And God responds back and tells Habakkuk, this is what I want you to do. I want you to watch and I want you to wait because in watching and waiting, you're going to see that I'm doing something, but I'm also going to unveil to you what I'm going to do and to give you the assurance that my glory is not going to be voided and that my assurance to you that all things are going to work together if you will just watch and wait until I bring about your change. And then we get here to chapter three, where apparently Habakkuk indeed has decided that I'm not only going to watch and to wait, but I'm gonna transition into worshiping and witnessing. I'm gonna believe that God is going to do something tremendous, and Habakkuk says, I've also come to realize when you read chapter three closely, that apparently 
the shift did not occur in Habakkuk's lifetime. Maybe Habakkuk did not live to see what he desired in chapter one. In other words, Habakkuk seemed to suggest to us that he has an unfulfilled dream, an expectation that didn't come to pass, but he says in chapter three, even when that happens, you are faced with a decision. You're gonna have to decide, are you gonna bask in the fact that it didn't come to pass, or are you gonna go on and celebrate and worship the fact that God, whatever you decide to do, I'm just gonna hang out in your grace and trust in your power and provision and I'm just going to watch you and wait on you. But in the meantime, I'm going to worship and witness that the Lord is still good and that his mercy still endures forever. So in chapter one, I'm a chapter three, particularly in verse one and two, we find Habakkuk doing the next possible thing that he can do in watching and waiting, but then also in worshiping. And that is praying. The Bible says in verse 1 that he heard of the fame of God and that he stood in the awe of God's needs, of God's deeds rather, and he cries out to God, renew them in our day, in our time, make them known, but in wrath, please remember us by your mercy. Here's what Habakkuk said, Lord. I heard about what you did from my ancestors. I, I read the record and he's referring back to the deliverance of Israel through Egypt. And he's saying, you know, what I want to do is see God just like you did in the old. Can you bring it about in my own time frame as well? I, I want to see you open up the Red Sea. I, I want to see you drown Pharaoh in his wickedness. I want to see you send the plagues. I want to see you protect us even in the midst of evil. I want to see everything that my ancestors saw come to pass. Can you make it happen in my own life? And the way that I do is that I just celebrate and worship in your word. I come to realize that if I just have a way of trusting your word and believing your word and standing on your word and living in your word and relying on your word, somehow, some way, you will even metaphorically, I may not see a real Red Sea open up, but I believe you can open up a way out of no way. I may not see Pharaoh drown like they did, but I believe you can drown my enemy in their own evil deeds I I just want to see you bring things to pass in my own life and the only way I've come to learn to do that Lord is to trust your word and maybe that's a word that God's trying to tell us this morning you may not see me do like I did in the text but I will work it out in your life I will open a door that no man can shut and if I need to I'll shut some doors that no man can open your enemy may think that they're winning and defeating you but I promise you I will make your enemy your footstool if you just watch and wait and in the meantime worship me in spirit and in truth lift your eyes unto the hills from whence come your help and I guarantee you your help will come from the Lord you will be strengthened even though you don't see it the way you see it in the word it will indeed come to pass and while you're worshiping leave me and go out 
God and witness and tell somebody God will make a way out of no way and even though you may not see it right now wait on the Lord and be of good courage and he will strengthen your heart wait I say on the Lord cause they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength they will mount up with wings like eagle they will run and not be weary they will walk and not faint and I got a sneaky suspicion that I got somebody in the sanctuary this morning that had to wait on God that had to watch and see what God's gonna do but you decided to worship your way through trouble, to worship your way through the storm, to witness about the goodness of God. And though you do not see it, yet your hope does not demise because you're going to keep on keeping on because God has yet to fail you and you're going to hold on to God's unchanging hand. Do I have a witness up in this house this morning? Habakkuk says, I'm going to go on and pray to God because if I keep wrestling with myself, I'm only going to frustrate myself and I'm only going to live in agony and I don't know about you, but when I get tired of living with myself in agony, I might as well go on to God and say, Lord, I need some rescuing. I need some strength. I need some focus. I need for you to baptize me in encouragement. Habakkuk said, that's what I'm going to do. And I saw the awe of God in his word, but he also says, I saw the awe of God in his work. I come to realize that God's working schedule is not according to my planning. In other words, I realize, says Habakkuk, that God's going to work this thing out and it's best for me just to simply get back in the seat, lay back and enjoy the ride. Just simply allow God to take me where he's going to take me. And then Habakkuk says, I realize that God also, and I saw him in the outpouring of his wrath and he says God whatever you do when you begin to pour out your wrath please remember us in mercy Habakkuk says that when God begins to deal with evil your best bet is to pray that God shows you some mercy and protects you and you not become a casualty of the process. Habakkuk realized that he needs to pray, but then in verses 3 through 15, Habakkuk says, but I got to take a moment to ponder. He begins to ponder on what God is doing in the process, and he says some very interesting things in this third chapter as he moves through identifying how God is working in a very strange way, looking at the atmosphere and the hemisphere and looking at the creation and recognize God is a reflection of that to which he has created. And he says, Lord, when I think about who you are and I come to realize you are going to handle my enemy. In fact, I can see in my own eyes, God, how you will strip him. Look at verse 13. You will crush him. You will crush the leader of the land of the wickedness and you will strip him from head to toe. In other words, God is saying you're going to see your Pharaoh experience, but you're going to see it in the way in which I desire for you to see it. But, but, but Habakkuk says to us, 
Rest in the fact that God will handle evil, but God is going to do it in his own time. And he ponders the strength, he ponders the glory, and he ponders the power of what God does in the presence of evil. And what does he do? Because of his mercy <coughs> and because of his grace, he prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. Habakkuk says that you may not be able to see it the way that you wanted to, but watch how God spreads the table before you of completion. He'll make sure that all that you need to complete the trial, to complete the test, to complete the journey, he'll supply it all. It'll be right there on the table. He prepares for you on the table all the mercy and all the grace and all the forgiveness and all the love and all the peace that you need. It's right there in the presence of your enemy. And Habakkuk says, I understand now what David meant when he says he anoints my head with oil and he lets my cup run over. Because Habakkuk realized that I've come to understand that I'm not the only one who's feeling this way and I'm not the only one who struggle with what God does and God lets my cup run over so that others who can't figure it out as well can see at my disposal and I'll hold my cup back for whatever comes out of mine can run into theirs that they too will have what they need in the presence of their enemies. But then Habakkuk closes the chapter, closes the story, closes his narrative by telling us that I'm praying to God and I'm pondering on God, but I'm also going to praise God. Look what he says in verse 16. He says, I heard and my heart pounded and my lips quivered at the sound and decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. In other words, Lord, I got weak. When I saw all of your glory and when I saw all of your presence and I recognized I couldn't really stand before it. It's a Moses reflection as Moses descends from Sinai and recognizes that in the presence of God, he wanted to see God face to face and God tells Moses, you couldn't handle my glory if you saw me face to face. In fact, I couldn't permit you to live any longer because when you left Sinai, if you had all of my glory on your face, no one could look at you. You'd be a man on an island all by yourself. But here is what I will do. I'll turn just enough for you to catch the backside of who I am as you descend down from the mountain. And I'll give you glimpses of my glory and that's what we get on Sunday morning when we come to worship God and to praise God we don't get the fullness of God but we get a glimpse of God's glory and God said that all you need is a glimpse of who I am and when Moses descends from Sinai his glory that he gets out of the glimpse is so overwhelming that it takes a veil for Moses even to descend and to meet Joshua 
as he descends from the mountain. And Habakkuk says, I realize that what I'm going to do, I'm going to praise you in the midst of the glory that I see. And even though it makes me stand and quiver and become weak, look what he says. I've developed a yet praise in my spirit. Look what he says. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation that is invading us. Now he's going back to chapter one and he says, I can't understand why you're going to use an evil nation to judge us, but because of your glory, I'm going to wait until you let your grace handle evil. But in the meantime, I got a yet praise on the inside of me. And though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I'm going to wait on you, God, in my yet moment because my yet moment suggests that something is going to happen, something is going to change, something is going to shift, something is going to change my whole life. And if I just hold on and hold out in my yet moment. And look what he says. I'm going to wait on you, God. And, and then he says in a very strong proclaiming fashion he tells the reader let me show you how deep I am in my yet praise he says though the fig trees don't bud though the land do not yield any figs any longer though there are no grapes on the vine though they will not yield the cluster of plentifulness as they once did. Though the olive crops failed, though there'll be no more oil for light illumination and the fields produce no food, even to the point of starvation, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stall, yet, he says, I'm leaning on my yet because I know that after yet there is something of glory that's going to happen and though I may not see it on this side I may have to wait until I get to the other side but he says yet I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. In other words, Habakkuk said, I'm going to shout my way out of this thing. I'm going to praise my way through this thing. I'm going to celebrate my way through this thing. And yet, no matter what happens, I'm going to believe in my yet. He says, I will rejoice in the Lord, the God of my salvation, the Lord, my Savior. Why, Habakkuk? 19, because the sovereign Lord is my strength. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom and what? Says Paul, I am persuaded that neither life nor death angels nor principalities nor things present nor things that come nor height nor depth nor any other creature can separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus my Lord my strength says Habakkuk is in the sovereign Lord of my salvation and he says one reason among the many that I'm holding on to him because no matter how high of the heights that I have to climb, 
He makes my feet like deer feet. You got to understand that. Uh, not all deer, but certain deer has a different kind of pad on their heel that enables them to climb up the side of a mountain and stand there in awe and in a sense of reverence. And when you look at them, you got to say in your own mind, how in the world could they climb up so high? Underneath them is a foundation that enables them to climb higher and higher. And no matter how difficult the climbing is, that gripping that they have beneath them enables them to go up and up and up and up. And Habakkuk says, I'm able to climb up into glory and to victory because underneath me are feet like a deer that God has given me. And because of that, I'm going to wait and see what God's going to do. I'm going to rest in my yet praise because he said he enables me to go up into the height of life. That's God's word to someone this morning who's wrestling with what are you doing God and why is it taking you so long Habakkuk says just rest in your yet praise tell yourself that though it takes God another year yet I'll continue to celebrate and to worship and to believe that God will bring it about in God's own time and then Habakkuk reminds us in chapter 3, I certainly cannot understand and may not never understand and I'm going to have to accept the fact that I may die not understanding all that the Lord is doing in my life and what he has done. But I'm hanging out in my yet praise because my yet praise tells me weeping may endure for the night and right now you might be resting in the night watch of your journey but if you hold on to your yet praise joy is coming in the morning and I don't know when the morning is but the morning is coming and you just need to wait until your change comes because God will indeed bring it to pass. Hang out in your yet praise and watch what God does in a very tremendous way. Father, in Jesus' name, help somebody this morning stretch out on their praise of yet and recognize that you got all